Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast with me, Rich Cooling. Um, so promised you a very special show post-draft and I have not disappointed. So today joining me, we have Tyler Karp, who is a writer for DLF and the co-host of the Dynasty Duos podcast. Tyler, how are you doing? I'm great. It is a busy season. There are rookie drafts. The NFL draft happened. Lots of things going on. But, you know, that, that's why I have to go around and go everywhere, bring the content to the people, and just, you know, that, that's what we do here. It's always working hard, always bringing content. That's pretty much how my last four days have been, just sitting with my computer, doing my rankings, uh, creating content and all that. that that's how it the, bus- the busiest man in the dynasty industry. It's probably true. <laughs> so today, what we're going to do is, as a kind of an introduction to, I guess, post-draft rookie talk, rather than going through any sort of rankings or, or a mock draft, what I wanted to do with Tyler was basically pick his brains for some risers, some fallers, and, and some guys that he's happy and, and worried for after the draft. So I have some great news for you. <laughs> What's that? Great news. I will be writing, so if this podcast is not enough for you, I will be writing articles for DLF on rookies that landed in the best situations and the ones who landed in the worst. So essentially, another way of saying risers and fallers. So (laughs) 
I will be writing those articles. So if you like what you hear today, go and read those articles. They should come out in about a week. So it's perfect because I was actually just thinking last night. I was writing the risers one last night. I was just thinking about risers and fallers. It's actually a coincidence because I, I don't think Rich knew that <laughs> coming in. Not at all. Not at all. Because uh, I just decided to write them yesterday. <laughs> um, great, so great minds think alike, timing. obviously. Great minds think alike, obviously. So who's your, your first riser, Tyler? Well, I mean, I, I think I should go with one of the players I'm going to talk about in the article. I'll uh, got to go with Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon, running back from uh, San Francisco. I, I wasn't very high on Trey Sermon coming into the rookie draft. I had other running backs that I might have preferred ahead of him. Certainly, uh, Kenneth Gainwell I preferred over Trey Sermon. Chuba Hubbard was similar. Uh, and there were other players that I, Michael Carter as well, someone I might have preferred. But, you know, Trey Sermon, he received day two draft capital better than uh, I thought there was a chance he could go on day three. He was the fourth running back taken, which was good. And then he lands in San Francisco. In San Francisco, we know that they drafted Trey Lance, who is another, we won't talk about him because <laughs> it's probably, we don't want to do two players from the same team, but he would be another candidate for a riser. You know, we, we want players on this team, this Absolutely. San Francisco team. That's who we want. So Trey Lance is now the quarterback there. And that means that this is going to be a great offense. Trey Sermon lands in that offense on this depth chart that has Raheem Mostert, who's injured or was injured all of last year. He was fine, but he's 29 years old. Nobody is excited about Raheem Mostert. Jeff Wilson, fine depth player, but again, nothing special. And then we also have Elijah Mitchell, who they drafted in the sixth round. An interesting sleeper, but not a competitor with Trey Sermon. And then they also signed Wayne Gallman in free agency, who, whatever. I mean, he had a few good games, but again, we don't, these players are not as good as Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon is better than those players. So he will have an opportunity to be the starter. It's probably going to be some sort of a committee, but we've seen that pretty much everyone outside of Tevin Coleman, who gets carries in this offense, produces fantasy numbers last year. When Jamichael Hasty had carries in this offense, he produced fantasy numbers. Then earlier in the season, it was Raheem Mostert. He produced fantasy numbers in this offense. Then late near the end, Jeff Wilson, when his turn came, he produced fantasy numbers in this offense. So I'm, I'm high on Trey Sermon at this point. You have to be. There's, yep. there's no way that you, you must have vaulted him in your rookie rankings based on the draft. There's, there's just really no way around that. So that, that would be the first one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the San Francisco offense last year, so if you took the running back that had the most carries per game and added that all up, that's that was the running back three in fantasy last year. I mean, that tells you all you need to know, exactly. right? Exactly. And I, I'm not saying, that's I mean, not me saying that Trey Sermon's going to be the running back three next no, year. No, he's not it, going to be the running back but, three because there's going to be weeks and this is going to be frustrating. There's going to be weeks where he doesn't get Gary's for some reason where other people get carried. So you can't just combine it that way, but look at what I said, go back and look, you know, week by week. If, if you know, who's getting the carries, you have an opportunity at getting an RB one. And that was with not even Jimmy Garoppolo for most of the season, who's a satisfactory quarterback in some ways that was with, 
like like Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard. These unacceptable quarterbacks. So Trey Sermon now could have Trey Lance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think yeah, I I was similar to you. I was pretty low. I think I had Trey Sermon as my running back eight pre-draft. Yeah, that's lower than I had. Yeah, I I I was I was lower. I think that. I, I didn't see enough on film and I think he was fantastic, you know, in his final season down, you know, the college playoffs and that kind of thing. But I just didn't see enough of it consistently through his college career. But, you know, the San Francisco 49ers saw something on him and if they're going to give him, even if we see, you know, 50, 55% of the workload in that backfield, that's, that's, an, that's an RB2 this year. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll take him as an RB. I'd like, if you were an RB2, call that a success. That would be a success, right? I mean, if you're looking at where he's going in rookie drafts, I mean, I don't overdraft him, but he is now in one QB league, he's going to be a first-round pick. Whereas before the draft, he was he was not a first-round pick for me. He wasn't yeah. anywhere near. He was, uh, to give the people an idea, in April's ADP, so pre-draft, he was 23.7 overall in a DLF's 1QB ADP in April. Now I'll expect him to be 11 or 12, 10, 11, 12. So is he settled in quite nicely as your running back four, I presume? Oh, I mean, there's no question. He, he's easily the running back four. Uh, I don't see that there's any competition there for him, really. No, he, yeah. He's the running back four. Yeah, absolutely. Are you concerned that, you know, Shanahan has has liked the the kind of hot hand approach, multiple options in the backfield, and and do you think that you're basically going to own a player that is going to be a headache to own and never know whether you can start in one week or not? Yes, it's going to be a headache, but a lot of the landing spots in this draft were bad. A lot of the draft capital is bad. It, you're going to have a headache no matter who you pick. No matter who you pick, you're going to have a headache. So what like. You can't have, it's not like last year. It's not like last year where you had lots of people who went to good landing spots. We were excited. Not this year. So you're going to have to deal with a little bit of that from any prospect. And, you know, he has a much clearer path to playing time than I thought he was going to get. I thought he was going to come in as a backup. Kind of like how maybe not as extreme as what Chuba Hubbard is dealing with, but something like more like what Ramondre Stevenson is dealing with in New England where he's going to be backup. He's going to be the backup to Damian Harris at best. You know, who knows when he's going to play. Whereas, yeah. you know, I, I am a lot less scared of Raheem Mostert and these other guys than I would have been of Damian Harris. So this is an opportunity for him to get on the field immediately. And I like, I like that. Yeah. And let's be honest, he's probably, I mean, you could maybe argue Travis Etienne, maybe Najee Harris, but Trey Sermon's ceiling in terms of within that offense, if he was the true lead back, got a full workload, is, you know, sky high, isn't it? His ceiling is high, but he'll never hit it. Yeah. He'll he'll never hit that ceiling. So I just know what you're getting. He don't expect him to be an RB1. He probably never will be an RB1. But you need RB2s on your team. I, I hear people say, oh, I don't really need an RB2. But if you have a reliable RB2 that puts up points on a weekly basis, that is a key advantage over your league mates. I don't, I don't understand this idea of not needing an RB2 that people talk about it. Think, I, last time I checked, an RB2 was a lineup position just like others. So, and it's not so easy to make it up. RB falls off a cliff really fast. After like RB25 or 30, you're getting to just total 
garbage. You don't want, you don't want those players. So I, I think he could provide an advantage and that's why I, I like taking him. Yeah, I feel like I've got to defend myself here, Tyler, because I'm one of those that says I don't believe in in RB twos. But why, why my, do you say that? Yeah. So why? my thing, my thing is, it, it's not just RB twos. I'm fine with an RB two like a Trey Sermon, who I think can have those fantastic weeks. What I despise owning as a dynasty asset is someone like a Melvin Gordon, who is going to score you between ten to fifteen fantasy points, fifteen if he scores a touchdown, and he's a volume based play. He's not. I don't think a fantastic talent and he's not in a fantastic offense. So he is purely based on volume. And if there is an injury, you can replace that production with another player, someone like a Raheem Mostert or a Jeff Wilson. Yeah. Those are the type of players that I will never own. Because, but if you're having to pay an RB2 price, I appreciate Mostert and Jeff Wilson are much cheaper than that. I just, in, in, Dynasty startups and how I build my rosters is I either want a top end running back or I want those handcuff RB3, RB4 types that for three or four weeks in a season can give me solid production. I don't I don't want to spend a fifth, sixth, seventh round startup pick on a running back that I see has got a cap ceiling. Yeah, to me, I think actually just looking at my rankings. Trey Sermon is the last running back that I want to draft. Yeah. He comes in as the last one, the okay. last one that I want to draft. And after that, you start to get into guys that I put in the category of what you're talking about. Players like he comes in ahead of players like AJ Dillon is weird because AJ Dillon has RB1. He has like high end RB1 upside. So maybe I would draft him. But after that, you start to get into guys that I don't want Ronald Jones, uh, Leonard Fournette, Mike See. Davis. Exactly. Melvin Gordon, who you already mentioned, guys, guys I don't want those guys. Exactly. So I go, I go through basically four or five rounds in there, but where I agree with you, I only take receivers. And then though, but then I circle back to running backs. Like maybe like you were saying, later in the draft, I don't want any receivers. No receivers for me. I don't want uh, the the last receiver I'll really consider taking is um, right now is the. Uh, either depending on what T.Y. Hilton or Dwayne Eskridge. That's the last receiver in all of Dynasty that I'll ever draft. After that, I'll take any running back because you take the running back and then if they have that one week where they have opportunity, like you said, you can sell the running back for, for later. So I agree with you. Building the cheap running backs, the stable of cheap running backs is a great idea. I think I just cut um, cut off the running backs at the higher end that I'm willing to take a little bit later than you do them. I'm willing to yeah. go up to someone like Sermon. And then I don't want those Gordon, Joe, Rojo, uh, Fournette types. I don't I don't want them at all. I, I don't want no part of them. I'll be honest, that's literally music to my ears because it's everything that I've been I've been preaching. And you, you yes, you're as you said, a little bit lower on the level that you cut off, but basically everything that I've been saying for a while. Well, I've, well I'm you glad know. you like it. I'm glad you like it. Your threads <laughs> have been your threads have been helpful. They have been helpful. So, the people should the people should follow you on Twitter, and they well, should go look at the content that you're creating because it does really provide insight. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So, your second big riser post draft. I mean, my second big riser post draft is Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore, it's more that, more that. Huh? No, it's <laughs> it's more that with Rondell Moore. It's more that he didn't 
get the disaster that I was expecting. I expected him to go on day three. All the NFL buzz around him was awful. <laughs> they were like, we, we don't like this guy. I mean, one of the draft analysts, they listed their prospects and they listed more. And they didn't even specify. And people asked him which one it was. And he was like, oh, it's Elijah. I, didn't, I forgot there was another more. <laughs> it was that, um, Daniel Jeremiah had, Daniel me, Jeremiah had me very scared. Yeah. 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 I, I knew it was someone very prominent. I just <laughs> forgot exactly. I don't really pay attention to, to those guys too much. But yeah, so Daniel Jeremiah then, that's what he said. Um, and with that said, so I thought that Rondo Moore might go on day three. And I was going to be like, oh, no, I don't want it. You, you know, you, you know how day three wide receivers are. There are four of them that have ever succeeded, just four in the last 10 years. Like you said, you, you came up on my podcast, actually. It did <laughs> come up that. on the show where we referenced that. So you, you can go and look at my retweets. It's, it's in there somewhere. But anyway, he went on day two. He went on, not even day two, he went in round two, which was way better than I, I thought round three was, was pushing my luck. He went in round two to the Cardinals. He went to the Cardinals too. A team that likes to use a lot of wide receivers. So he's going to have playing time. He's not going to struggle for playing time. The Cardinals GM said that their first two picks, including Rondell Moore, must see the field immediately. So he said that they must see the field. That tells me that they're not happy with Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk has been a failure. He's been a failure through three years. He's been fine, but you know, you can get fine anywhere. There is, you know, Hunter Renfro, Tim Patrick, these kind of players that you, they're a dime a dozen. You can find them anywhere. So that's what he's been. He's just been replaceable. Rondo Moore is not replaceable. Rondo Moore at 18 years old had one of, you know, great season. He broke out immediately in college. And then, you know, he, he kind of struggled with some injuries and then he opted. What happened? He opted out and then he opted back in and then he opted out. That, that's what happened this year with Rondo Moore. So, yeah, I'm very excited that he's going to play with Kyler Murray. I'm not concerned about A.J. Green taking his playing time. A.J. Green is completely cooked. Watch watch him. Watch any of his 2020 tape. He's, he's finished. I don't know why they gave him $8 million. They just felt like doing that. They, they're an NFL team. They have plenty of money. They can light it on fire as they choose. And then, yeah, Christian Kirk is whatever. So they don't have any tight end. No tight end there. So not really, right? So there's plenty of room or targets behind, behind DeAndre Hopkins. And I like the draft capital. So he's someone who rose for me just because he didn't bottom out like I thought he would. Yeah, but absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I echoed similar worries and concerns to you that this could be, you know, a, a guy that falls to day three. I think for me, the underrated thing with landing in Arizona as well, that I'm very excited about, that I don't think anyone is really talking about, is that they didn't address the running back position. And the interesting thing for me is Rondell Moore is that, yes, he is a prototypical slot receiver, but he is a freak of an athlete and he is a guy that can be utilised in space all over the place. And I think the fact that they've they've got Edmonds, they've got James Conner, but they've then not added a running back, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Rondell Moore used a little bit like Curtis Samuel was after the McCaffrey injury last year, where he gets, he gets maybe two, three, four carries a game but he's also getting maybe up to 10 snaps in the backfield where he can get another two or three targets. It's a because... very, very good comparison that you just made. And I think, I that think it's that's good. exciting. The people should, should realize that, that he has the ability to be used in that Curtis Samuel type role. 
we all know what I think of, you know, people tell me, oh, you must love James Conner because you say that Chase Edmonds is not going to be good. No, 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 no. They both suck. They're both terrible. They, James Conner cannot stay on the field. He cannot stay on the field. He's every week there's new injury that prevents him from staying on the field. And then Chase Edmonds has three double-digit carry games in his career. Three. And all of them came when no one else was available to, to play at all. So that's what they have in the backfield. It's not very good. And I completely agree. I think that Rondo Moore, and I think this should be more talked about, and I'll, I'll definitely make sure to emphasize it more as I'm talking about Rondo Moore. He could be used in a Curtis Samuel role. And we saw that Curtis Samuel was the wide receiver 25 last year. And that was with Teddy Bridgewater. Nobody is excited about Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater's terrible. So with Kyler Murray, though, with Kyler Murray, I'm much more excited for that role. And I, I completely agree. I think that's something people should really focus on more. And it's not being talked about, like you said. Yeah. And I think also one one of the big concerns about Moore is that he is purely a, you know, he needs the volume to produce. And look, we can talk a lot about the, you know, the setup in Arizona and the scheme they run. And it is, you know, slightly different with a lot of four four wide sets, but they want to be that fast paced offense. They want to run more plays than any other team in the NFL. And they've not been able to do it because their offensive line has been terrible and they're worried about Kyler getting killed. You know, they've had another year to hopefully address it. And I think that you, I wouldn't be shocked if they're in probably the top four or five in terms of pass attempts per game, which, you know, more pass attempts, that's more targets to go around and, and keep everyone happy. The issue last year, if you watch the Cardinals, and, and I saw it very clearly, the issue last year is they were, failed to develop a second passing option behind DeAndre Hopkins. They had no second passing option. So you had, I remember being frustrated with DeAndre Hopkins at times because what the defense would do is they would shadow corner him and then shade a safety to his side. And the safety was basically responsible. Mostly his, most of his responsibility was to cover and worry about DeAndre Hopkins. So DeAndre Hopkins was being shut out at times because he was getting double teamed. And then there's just no one who could pick up the slack. Nobody could pick up the slack because Christian Kirk was just not people. First of all, he was in had some injury, but secondly, he just wasn't that good. He's not that good. And Larry Fitzgerald was completely over the hill. And then Indy Isabella is a total bust. So now they will solve that problem. And you're not going to be able to scheme against Rondell Moore because you have to cover DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be the focus of the defense. So for a rookie, he might get some easy looks. And we are not expecting – nobody's expecting – extreme production from any of these rookie rookie wide receivers other than Jamar Chase. If you are, you're, you're making a mistake. Chase is an exception, but the others don't, don't expect massive production. What we want to see is evidence that they're going to be good moving forward. We want to see flashes. We want to see some big plays. We want to see some, you know, production, even if it's not fantasy relevant production. And I think that Rondo Moore has every opportunity to do that. And I think he will. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and uh, now we've, we've been positive, so time to be negative. So um, so who's your, your fooler? Oh, it's Rashad Bateman. It's Rashad oh, Bateman. Oh, no. Rashad Bateman, there are three hours of me talking about this out there, and we're about to add to it. Rashad Bateman is a huge faller. People say, oh, don't overreact to landing spot. You don't know. You don't know. Landing spot could change. Really? Landing spot's going to change. He was drafted in the first round. So first round comes with a four-year contract with a fifth-year option. 
the four years are fully guaranteed. The Ravens just picked up Lamar Jackson's fully guaranteed, by the way, fifth-year option for 2022. So now two years of Lamar Jackson. Ravens last year, last in passing attempts. The next team was like 100 more. So not close. It wasn't like two more. It was like a lot, a big difference. So they were what, at around four, I think it was like 407 passing attempts. It was not good. And they said, people are saying, oh, well, the Ravens are going to pass the ball more. They're going to pass the ball more. Really? Why would they do? Why would they do that? They are not going to pass the ball more. No free agent wide receiver wanted to sign there. They offered Juju more money. Why didn't Juju sign there? Because he was going to put up 600 yards. His value was going to go into the, the, the toilet. Then T.Y. Hilton was about to sign there. At the last minute, he, some voice in his head told him, I don't really want to sign here. I, I don't want to sign here. I'm, I'm going to go re-sign with the Colts. Why might that have been? Uh, well, probably because he wasn't going to put up any numbers in, in this offense. They managed to get Sammy Watkins to sign there. That's who they signed. So that shows you the caliber of receiver that was willing to sign there. The reason they drafted, and people say, okay, why did they draft Rashad Bitten? Why did they do that? Well, it's because it's the only way they were ever going to get any half-decent receiver to ever sign to ever on their team because no one was ever going to sign. No one's going to sign there. So in order for them to even get a good receiver on the team, which, and I do think Rashad Bateman is a good receiver, they needed to draft one in the first round because they weren't going to get one any other way. So that's why they drafted him. I don't think they're going to pass more. Why would you pass more? J.K. Dobbins averaged six yards a carry in uh, 2020. But Lamar Jackson only averaged 6.3, what was it? It was not, it was not great. What did he average uh, passing-wise? in terms of uh, yards, yards, per attempt. Well, yards per attempt. It wasn't like, I remember it, I, I, we went over this yesterday. So it was, oh, wow, it was a, a lot. More. Okay, yeah, it was 7.1, but adjusted was 5.2, which is bizarre. Oh, no, that's playoffs. Um, where's the regular season? It's 7.3 so yeah, yards per attempt. That's, that's, not, that's not terrible, but that's not great. I mean, there are, there are many quarterbacks who did better. It was a significant regression from 2019 where it was 7.8. But he averaged over six yards a carry. J.K. Dobbins averaged six yards a carry. And then Gus Edwards averaged five yards a carry. So you would say they won a lot of games too. They won they were the best team in the regular season in 2019. And then they were a playoff team this year. So they – so people are saying, oh, they're going to pass more. Why would they pass more? Just because I, I, I want them to? Just because me, the fantasy analyst, says pass more, they're going to listen to me? No. They're going to tell me to go stick it somewhere and continue to run the ball. And we're just not going to – I had an argument about this on Twitter all day. Like, if Rashad Bateman's going to succeed, he has to be, like, a top 10 receiver, talent-wise. He has to be a top 10 talent receiver if he's going to succeed. That's what he has to be. And I'm sorry, I don't see him that way. I don't see him that way. I've never seen him that way. To me, there's one special, there was one talent in this draft that's special. And that's Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was special. Everyone else is just okay. They're good, but not landing spot or quarterback proof. And unfortunately, Rashad Bateman went here where there will be no pass attempts and yeah. I'm sorry, his ceiling is gone. He will never finish as a wide receiver one in this offense. And I'm, I'm sorry to, to people who disagree with me, but, you know, I, I'm not going to change my mind. I'll have okay. to see. 
So, so that's how I feel about Rashad Bateman. I'm very down on him and I'm, I'm sorry because he was one of my favorite prospects coming in. I just, he's just dead. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not, I don't disagree with anything you have said there, but I'm going to disagree with you. <laughs> so Hollywood Brown last year. So there was, Lamar had 220 targets to wide receivers last year. Okay. That's nice, yeah. So it's not, that's, that's not great. Let's be honest. But if, really if, we, if we take that moving forward to next year and say that's going to be the same, Hollywood Brown had 99 targets last year, okay? Now, I think if you pencil Bateman into that same 9,900 target range, okay, I think he can be a wide receiver three with that volume. I don't okay? want a wide receiver three. No, and I, I don't disagree with you, but I don't think there's anyone else in this draft outside of Chase that is gonna has got wide receiver one, wide receiver two volume that they're walking into day one. That's and I think true. that, who else do you think? See, that, see, that's the problem. There are players, there are many players who are not good. Like Tyler Boyd is not good. He's fine, but he's nothing special. He delivers nothing special as a wide receiver. Yet he put up wide receiver two numbers over multiple years because he got ridiculously oversized, massive volume that he didn't deserve because there was not enough competition on the team. So he wasn't that good. He was inefficient on the targets that he got, but he still put up fantasy numbers even so. So like he, Rashad Bateman does not have that option to succeed. That path to succeed, gone, gone. He cannot succeed that way. So the only way he can, it won't happen. There's, he's not getting 100, 140 targets, forget it. Anyone telling me that he's getting 140 targets, I don't understand how you arrive at that conclusion. He's not getting 140 targets. So I think like 100 over a 17 game season, like 120 is like his absolute ceiling. And, you know, he, in order to get that, the target share he'd have to get is pretty high. I mean, you're talking about some of the best players in the league getting that kind of target share. So it, the, the path is, is brutal. So like he can't succeed based on volume. So he has to succeed based on extreme efficiency and in order to do that, he has to be one of the best. He has to be one of the most talented wide receivers in the league. And I just don't think he's that. I just don't think he is. I think he's very good at everything, but not great at anything. And that's just not, I've always said, difference-making players overcome horrible situations. DeAndre Hopkins is a great example. He was, te- he was in a terrible situation, but he overcame it because he's special. If you think Rashad Bateman is going to be special, if you think he's the next A.J. Brown, if you, if you think that's what he is, go draft him. Go draft him. Don't listen to me. You know, tell me to go, whatever. Just take a hike, jump, jump in the water. If that's what you think, go draft him. But unless you think that, I don't see any reason why. I'd rather, we just talked about Rondo Moore. I'd rather have Rondo Moore. Elijah Moore, I'd rather have Elijah Moore. And then, you know, it starts to get, and I'd rather take my chances on a running back in Trey Sermon. And then you start to maybe get to Rashad Bateman. But I, you know, I had all of those guys way below him pre-draft. But now, uh, now that we come to post-draft, I, I have all of them. I just, I can't see the path for Bateman. So I'll draft Wait. those other people. So where does Bateman kind of settle in for you in the current rankings? Well, I mean, he's my uh, rookie wide receiver six. Okay. So, you know, behind Chase is one, Smith two, Waddle three. Uh, Rondell Moore four, Elijah Moore five, and uh, Bateman comes in at six. Just because after that, we have guys who have their own uh, massive issues. 
of their own. Yeah. You know, we have Kadarius Tony, who is so just an un- incomprehensible. Anything why I would want to draft him other than that he went in the first round. Everything else is bad. Yeah. It's all bad. Was, so you're was getting my... outliers of a different variety. You have Terrace Marshall who plummeted in the draft right before, plummeted in the draft due to injury concerns. That's usually not it. That's usually bad. That, that usually tells me that NFL teams know something about him. Red flags that we well, were not factoring in. Concerns all over I think the place with him, I think it's it, medical. It's medicals. It's there's something with his medicals that we don't know. That that was published like right before the draft. His medicals could be like very bad. So that's why he fell. And he also he fell into another situation. We have two years of Sam Darnold. That's I don't like that. And then he's going to be the number three target on the team at best behind McCaffrey and Moore. So again, another player. And he was later. We're talking about a second round pick there, not a first round pick. So another player I don't like. And then you start to get the third round picks like Deami Brown, Amari Rogers, Nico Collins. I don't, I'm not going to take a third rounder over a first rounder. So I'll just take my chances on the first rounder. So he is only wide receiver six, but I guess that goes to show you that I'm not a big fan of a lot of the receivers in this class. I listed the five that I liked. It feels like I was, I remember coming into the draft thinking, oh, these second round picks are going to be fantastic this year. There's so many nope. guys I like and it <laughs> dried up so quickly. There's like, I think Atlanta 14, 15 guys in super flex drafts that I'm happy with. Atlantic the rest spots just, were brutal. Yeah. They were brutal. Well, even draft capital was poor as well. So many guys fell further than, than we'd expect. Well, the uh, draft capital wasn't that poor, but a lot of the guys who got picked earlier were guys we don't like. Yeah. Yeah. Or exactly like Tutu Atwell. Well, don't get no no two to Atwell slander on this. Why podcast. not? He, he's literally he'd be the first player to ever succeed at his size. Yeah, but how many players at his size have played in the NFL? Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah, like but that, to, that's but there's me, a reason why there's a reason why players at his size are usually not drafted in the NFL because players at that size are too small to play in the NFL. The teams, but, most teams, look at the team who drafted him. Let's look at the team who drafted him. Look at the Rams' history. What? How well do the Rams handle draft picks? What did they do in the second round last year? Last year, they picked Van Jefferson in the second round. How well did that go? Exactly. Well but to, that me, go? to me, that says that they're, they're willing to admit that mistake and go and take an, another option. I think, look, another we, we, said, we said that there's five receivers we like in this draft. But for me, if I'm willing to take a lottery pick on a guy, he's got round two draft capital, he's got a fantastic production profile, and he's got an elite skill. There is no, very outside of maybe three or four guys in the NFL that move the way he does. I get that he is small, but if he is going to be put in positions by a brilliant offensive mind that is going to be able to scheme him open in open space, I don't, I don't know there's many corners that can cover him. The way he moves, his level of agility is obscene. I don't think that he is going to be, don't get me wrong, I think we're talking 20% chance that he is fantasy relevant. But that 20% chance is incredible. And I think that if everything goes right, he could be amazing. And for me, at this point in rookie drafts, where we've got to that point where the guys I think are going to be good... I'm just looking for complete upside. And I think that Tutu Atwell's got it. Look, he, he, he was fantastic in college. He's got that production profile. I think he's I wish I wish he ate a few cheeseburgers. If he ate a few cheeseburgers, <laughs> if he ate a few cheeseburgers, I would be more in. But 
he just is too small. He's too small to succeed in the NFL. So if he he could be the first. If he's the first, then maybe, and that'll be very dangerous because then everyone will be chasing the next one oh, and they'll, they'll, they'll fail to do that. So if he's the first, then good good on you for predicting it, but I'll, I'll bet against someone being the first ever to, to do it. I, I just, I think there's a reason why players need to be a certain size to succeed in the NFL. And I just think it's, he's just not that size. There's so loads of guys. There's loads of guys in this draft. We could say the same about Rondell Moore being five foot seven. We could say the same about the Vaughn Smith Moore being one six six. Rondell Moore is very heavy. He's much bulkier. Tutu Atwell is like a piece of paper. He weighs less than I do. He weighs less than I do. You could I say the same. Devonta Smith's got like five inches on him and about fifteen pounds. Like, yeah, but that's still a little. It's a little more. I mean, Tutu Atwell is tiny. I mean, there have been players who have played at Devonta Smith size, whereas nobody has ever played at Tutu Atwell size. So it'll be the first ever. And I just, I'm not in the business of tying myself. I'd rather, and you probably won't like this, but I'd rather take my chances on the disastrous profile that is Dwayne Eskridge, who is big enough to play in the NFL, who was picked in the same exact area, who also has two wide receivers, very good wide receivers ahead of him. I'd take my chances on Dwayne Eskridge before I take my chances on Tutu Atwell. Well, and that's what makes fantasy football so great is that no no two people can agree and everybody's different, isn't it? So who who else have you got as a faller? Oh, I mean, we, we talked about a lot of them. But <laughs> I mean, there are some really biggest faller in this draft is probably Jamar Jefferson, who we don't even need to talk about because he's now a seventh rounder to Detroit. I mean, he was like a mid-second rounder. Yeah in most rookie drafts and then whoop, them, he's, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that hurt. He was my, he was my pre-draft RB5. He's now yeah, no, that RB14, was... I think. Yeah. That, and that I, I won't waste, I won't waste people's time about my second biggest baller, who's Kylan Wallace. I think we know we don't need a redo of why he's my <laughs> second biggest baller. Is just take everything I said about Rashad Bateman and multiply it by 20. And that's why Kylan Wallace, I wouldn't even draft him in any rookie draft. Um, but yeah, other than other than those two, my biggest faller, I think that someone that people are still going to pick is Kenneth Gainwell. I thought Kenneth Gainwell was going to go on day two. I actually mocked Kenneth Gainwell in some ways to the Eagles going on some point on day two, except he went to the Eagles, but as a fifth rounder. I, I just don't understand. The NFL just didn't see in Kenneth Gainwell what I saw. And I was very disappointed that he fell all the way to the fifth round. And that's just... I like, I don't even really like, the landing spot is fine, but I doesn't really make that much sense. I mean, he's a big pass catcher and that's what Miles Sanders is best at. I wish he had gone somewhere where he would serve as, where I could see, here it feels like more he's a handcuff. Like he can do probably 75 to 80% of every, he's similar to Miles Sanders in a lot of ways. He can deliver not workhorse carries with high pass catching skills. It's like they took, a backup instead of a compliment. Whereas like, I wish he had gone somewhere where he was a complimentary player. I don't know where, I mean, Buffalo would have been great because Zach Moss and Devin Singletary can't do anything in the passing game. He actually would have been a good compliment there to, to their lack of skill set. But uh, yeah, that was a little disappointing given, given the draft capital, it says he's a backup and yeah. I'm just and- a little disappointed. And I think I was really excited because I thought wherever he goes, he's going to have a role as a pass catcher at least. 
Yeah, he's now, now he, he's now in Philadelphia, where yes, he he can go and be a pass catcher. But as you said, that's Miles Sanders' best asset. And then yeah. you've also got a, a mobile quarterback that doesn't like checking down. That's and another. Yeah, like, it makes it even worse. So the so, volume's just not going to be there at all. It. So yeah, he's he's he was my pre-draft RB four, and he has again plummeted down. It's yeah, that one. I mean, one but it's funny because he's still my RB six, just because the other options are. I mean, well, let's look at the other landing spots. I mean. Chuba Hubbard, oh, that went great. He is now behind Christian McCaffrey. So he he's not even he's not going to get on the field. If McCaffrey is healthy, Chuba Hubbard's not going to see the field. So the only that's bad. the only thing for Chuba Hubbard is that he was, you know, those guys that we were talking about early of he's a handcuff that if there's an injury, there's there's nobody else in that backfield now. You'd expect him to get, you know decent volume in those potential weeks when McCaffrey's yeah, injured but that's I, that's his ceiling is is I, a okay handcuff it. but it's it's worse for me than like other handcuffs because a healthy CMC doesn't come off the field we're not even gonna see Chuba Hubbard yeah we're just starting Christian McCaffrey's massive four-year 64 million extension we're starting that we're just starting that now so we have two years of gar- absolute locked, like ironclad guarantees of if Christian, unless Christian, and he did get injured last year. So it's possible he could get injured again, but he missed zero games in the previous zero games in the previous three years. So if he stays healthy for the full season, Chuba Hubbard won't even sniff the field. So that's, that's unfortunate. And then another one, Ramondre Stevenson, another unfortunate landing spot. I mean, we're, he's stuck in a nightmare. He's stuck in, it's a nightmare at best. And a recent report said that we don't expect to use Ramondre Stevenson. And that's the New England. That's what they said. They don't expect to use Ramondre Stevenson in 2020. I don't want to hear about, we don't expect you. We don't expect to use him. Look at what they did to Damian Harris in 2019. Damian Harris is a rookie in 2019. Saw four, four carries, four carries. I don't want four carries that. And he was a third rounder. Ramondre Stevenson is a fourth rounder. So it, yes, Stevenson's, Stevenson's yeah. ceiling is now the LeGarrette Blunt, where he had that one season where yeah, he scored a ridiculous one, number of touchdowns year. and did nothing else. That That's but his absolute all ceiling. The landing, offense. All the landing spots were so bad. I had hope for, we mentioned Jamar Jefferson. I had hope for Kylan Hill, uh, seventh round to Packers. Cancel that one. Uh, that, that hope is over. I, I liked Khalil Herbert a little bit. Mm, well, he goes in the sixth round to Chicago. There are you know, we have David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen who are good compliments in the backfield there. Unless one of them get hurt, he's never going to see the field. Uh, Chris Evans, another sleeper, he's stuck behind Joe Mixon in Cincinnati. Do we, that, I don't see the path there. I mean, there's a lot of these guys just went to terrible. And then, you know, two other guys that I like, J.B. and Hawkins and Jarrett Patterson, didn't even get drafted at all. J.B. and Hawkins, I like that he signed as a UDFA in Atlanta. There's some potential there but it's a UDFA the odds of a UDFA hitting are, are slim to none so it's just like brutal it's awful I mean everyone everything I just listed is all bad Seth Williams another one of my favorite wide receivers I someone I really liked he had like a big skill set and big potential to be that big target he ends up in the sixth round on the Broncos I mean what like just, so, I, I could have gone on forever on the bad landing spots. There's 20 deep that are just bad. It's, it's so unfortunate. So with all these bad landing spots, that means some of the good landing spots haven't been filled. 
and left some happy vets. So who's who's a vet that you're happiest for and their value moving forward? Well, there's two ways to look at that question, right? There's the vet who didn't get replaced or the vets who had their situation changed for the better unexpectedly. So I'll go with one from the second category. I am very, very happy for everyone who currently plays for the Chicago Bears. All of them. Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, and in some respect, a little bit David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen as well. They all now have the Justin Fields is there. Justin Fields is there, and they didn't really draft any competition at running back, any significant competition at running back or wide receiver. So those players didn't get any significant competition on the team, and they got a massive quarterback upgrade. So the entire Chicago Bears offense, all of them, huge winners from this draft, because I don't think people expected them to get a quarterback. That was not expected. So they're, I mean, if you want to talk about veteran winners, that that whole team, I think, is a good candidate. So do you expect Justin Fields to start from, or hope Justin Fields starts from week one? So I said this on the last show I was on. I would say an over-under of three games that Andy Dolphin starts. Three games. <laughs> That's when they yanked. They yanked uh, Mitch Trubisky in favor of Nick Foles after three weeks. That was this coaching staff. So they don't, and last time I checked, Mitch Trubisky had won the first two games and was on course potentially to win the third game. So clearly it wasn't based on the record. They just felt that they wanted to go to Nick Foles at that time. And they just made a quarterback change. I think it was in the middle. It was at half made a change. So they just made a quarterback change. They're not going to be afraid. They're coaching for their jobs. If they think it's time to put Justin Fields in the game, they will put Justin Fields in the game. I do expect Andy Dalton to start week one. I, but I do think it's in the range of outcomes that Justin Fields starts week one. I would say it's about a 60% chance that Andy Dalton starts week one and 40% that Justin Fields starts week one. So it's there's a chance. I think you hit the nail on the head there when you said that they're, they're, they're on the hot seat and they're coaching for their jobs because Nagy and Pace... They still have jobs. They the, should the, still have jobs. The only way they keep their jobs past this season is if Justin Fields is a success. And the only yeah. way that they can do that is by getting him on the field and him They producing. should not still have jobs. They are, this, is, this is the regime that didn't sign Andy Dalton last year, traded away draft capital to pay Nick Foles a massive contract that they can't get out of, managed to alienate Allen Robinson, who I, they still, they, he only signed the franchise tag because the wide receiver market is so down. And then they managed to do whatever they were doing with Mitch Trubisky. They didn't really handle that well. I mean, they were the ones who drafted him in the first place. And the, the GM, at least. So the, that's what all of these people did. So they shouldn't still have jobs. The fact that they still have them is amazing to me. And if their jobs are not on the line, I, I don't, I don't know who's are. I mean, they're on the hottest of hot seats of any like group in the Absolutely. league. So they, they need to succeed right now. Absolutely. And then the, the flip side of that. So who's a vet that you're, I guess, most concerned for or, or worried for their kind of fantasy value moving forward? I mean, James Robinson, like that's the easy answer, but James Robinson's value just went away. I mean, he, he is what he is, but he just lost most of his value now that Travis Etienne is there. Do you uh, think so he's got? Do you think he's got no value at all? Do you think he's he has still value, a... but it's less than half of what it was before? Like he—he's—he's he's actually someone I would recommend holding 
don't sell him. You'll, you'll, he, people are going to lowball you. So just hang on to him. But if you want to talk about someone who's lost value, there's no one who lost more. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's the one who lost the most value it, from the draft. It's, it's not really even a competition uh, for who lost the most value. Yeah. And there's, then, yeah, there's, there's other players who lost value, but he was the one veteran who like moved like 30 spots in my rankings. He moved a lot. Whereas most of the other veterans, it was more of a, a minor change. Uh, it was a lot of I guys would, that we were already expecting. They were already on the decline. Someone like a Melvin Gordon, yeah. who we were expecting it to be his last year in Denver anyway. And He's a good faller, though. I don't think I was expecting him to take one of the big three. So he, he fell a good, a good portion for me. Yeah. Um, and then Christian Kirk, as we mentioned before. Christian, we talked about him before, but he's, he's someone who fell a lot for me. He fell over 40 spots. In, in my rankings so he was another another player that I would say is definitely a loser but yeah I mean if we look at it we weren't expecting anything from the Steelers running back so Najee going there really didn't affect too many people Gordon was old so he lost some value but not too much when Javante went there because it wasn't high anyway and then Robinson from ETN going in and then uh, oh Tyler Boyd Tyler Boyd is a huge loser uh Tyler Boyd Tyler Boyd's fantasy value is gone to me. I, I think that he has none left. It reminds me a lot of. It reminds me a lot of when uh, the Cowboys drafted C.D. Lamb. When they drafted C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup's value went down. But I think Michael Gallup is a better player than Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd, I don't think is good at all. I think he's just okay. So now that Jamar Chase is there, Tyler Boyd has he dropped about 20 spots in my rankings and honestly i think that's now that i'm looking at it i think that's kind i think he should be even, Go even further <laughs> brutal and i so, like twisting the knife on tyler boyd <laughs> so wouldn't wouldn't be fair to bring you on and, and not get at least one sleeper from you tyler so rookie drafts who's that kind of deep sleeper fourth fifth Oof. round pick that that you're targeting that you think could be sneaky good good question so we actually mentioned his name earlier. I would uh, throw out Elijah Mitchell, uh, running back San Francisco. They have their sixth-round pick. As I said, I wasn't fully confident in Trey Sermon as a prospect. I, I like him. I like the landing spot. But we've seen them in 2017, this same coaching staff, drafted Joe Williams in the fourth round, I believe. And then Joe Williams did nothing. And they ended up with like a committee of other players that they didn't even use him. And they and used the committee of other players. And we, we know that Kyle Shanahan can do whatever at any time. So I would say of the later, and I always want to use a later sleeper on a running back. I don't want to take, I don't want day three wide receivers. You, you agree with that. I, I know <laughs> you know I a lot of, some of my opinion on that is because of you. So I know you agree with that. So taking a day three running back is a good idea. And I would throw out Elijah Mitchell as my favorite. And then if I have to choose one more, I would say I have to pick in the day three wide receivers. I'll give the people one. Des Fitzpatrick, I, I'd never heard of him before the draft. I had no idea who he was. I still really don't know who he is that well, but he got drafted by the Titans. The Titans have just nothing, no receiving weapons after A.J. Brown. So if you're going to take your chances, take your chances on someone that people have never heard of who went higher in the NFL draft than a lot of people and has an opportunity to play. He might be available in your fourth round, even fifth yeah. round, because people have never heard of him. The only reason the only reason I knew Des Fitzpatrick was because he was the worst receiver on the Louisville offense opposite Tutu Atwell. I so. knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, uh, 
And for the record, I would still take Tutu Atwell in rookie drafts over Des Fitzpatrick. Just well, that's on the that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, I have to say, though, I think the Elijah Mitchell um, pick is is absolutely fantastic. I think he is, yes, we've got you know late draft capital. Yes, they traded up for another running back in the class. But, you know, as you said, they traded up for Joe, Joe Williams as well. I think Elijah Mitchell is the perfect scheme fit for that Shanahan offense. He has got electric speed to get to the outside and that one cut ability that is everything you dream of in that 49ers offense. And uh, I, I don't think he's going to be great. But as I said earlier, you know, at that point in the draft, we're looking for lottery picks and I wouldn't be yeah, shocked if he produced have, in the offense. We're talking about someone I have in one QB, forgetting even Superflex, one QB. I have him ranked at 32nd overall. So that's, we're looking at the 308. Normally, a six-round running back wouldn't be that high, but the landing spots for receivers were just so bad that I that's where he ends up for me. Uh, so, yeah. so But, you know, don't, don't go crazy over it. It's just – this would be a year where if you can trade your third and fourth-round picks for veterans or just trade them out for – if you can trade a, a third – a late third this year for, like – a third and a fourth next year, I might just say to do it if, if the value is fine in that case. Just, I, I wouldn't, this is not a year to go after sleepers for me. We're, we're not talking about guys I love. We're talking about guys that you have the pick. You got to take someone, but we're, I'm not like ecstatic over Elijah Mitchell. Yeah. I want to focus on that point you've just made there actually, because I think that's fantastic is that a lot of people are talking about that 2022 draft class as a poor and weak draft oh, class. Yeah. And, and I get that because I think it's not got that elite top-end talent. But if you just look at it from a numbers perspective, so an average year sees about 1,200 players declare for the NFL draft. Okay, This year, we saw 600 players declare for the NFL draft because so many more players stayed in college because the NCAA gave them that extra year of eligibility. So Have you put that out? Have yeah. you put that out? No, not yet. So they're projecting. Put, put that out. Put that, <laughs> I think that people will be very interested in that piece of information because I didn't know that. So I next year, next year they're projecting there will be about 2,000 players declare for the NFL draft. So almost, I, did not, I did not know that. So you're, you we're talking, talk. it might not have that elite top-end talent, but the depth is going to be off the chain. It's going it's to be so deep. That's not what I've been told. I don't, so just full picture of the analysis here. I don't do Debbie. I don't watch college football. So I, I, I know about this class. I know like, I know who Bruce Hall is. Like, I know who Spencer Rattler is. Like, that's, you know, I know uh, there's Keaton Slovis, Sam Howell. We're, we're starting to get to the end. There's some guy named Chris Olave as a receiver. He exists. Um, but as you can see, like, that's it. Like, that's what I know about the 2022 class. I don't do Debbie. I'm not a Debbie analyst. I don't follow college football. I'm, I'm a dynasty analyst. I, follow, I focus on the players coming into the NFL, the ones that are in the NFL now. So what I had heard was that mostly was that the 2022 class was shallow. Like you said, it was, there was good talent at the top, but you didn't really want your 2022 seconds and thirds. But if it's what you're saying and this stat about, Players declared for the 2022 draft versus 2021 is very interesting. You should put that put that out. I, I think people would want to hear about that because, uh, like I said, I didn't know that until just now. That's okay. really that, that's really true. Then maybe that's changing my thinking even more. So I would even more support going and 
you know, making those trades, get accumulate value in later picks next year, and you might get you might get a better opportunity to get get talent. And also, I I think I know about the enough about the 2023 class to say this. If you can trade like a 2021 fourth or a 2023 third, do it. That do 2023 it. class is going to be that, absolutely insane. That much I know. I know more about the. It's this is always very telling when a non. So I'm not a Debbie analyst. When just some guy. When it comes to Debbie, I'm just I'm just a guy. I'm just I'm just like you and whoever listening. If you're not an analyst at all, I know as much as you do. So like, it's very telling that I am so confident that the 2023 class is better than the 2022. That, it reminds me a lot of 2019 and 2020. Like I knew that the 2020 class was going to be better. And even I knew that. So the 2023 class must be really good. So I recommend that people go and go trade those later picks and go accumulate those picks in 2023. Trust me, if if you have like another move, if you have like the 203 and you can turn that into a 2023 first, do it now. Do it now. When you're on the clock, don't don't look for moving down or up in this draft. No, don't do that. Go turn that pick into the 2023 first if you can get it. And believe me, trust me, you'll, you'll thank me later when uh, when you're on the clock at that point or when that asset starts to accumulate. You will thank me for that. But I, I think I think you would agree <laughs> completely well, with that strategy. You're, you're plugging my content without even realizing because I've last week I released the article of how you should how one of the most undervalued assets in dynasty is future picks and not necessarily future picks to use on rookies but if you go and get a 2022 first now that's being seen as a future pick in two months time in two months time that's suddenly a current pick and the value is so much more yep and if you can then trade it you're then trading it for a player you're going to get more in two months time it is the only asset in dynasty that is guaranteed to go up in value in the next three months oh you're just you're just like speaking my language this is something i've said so i've said this on my show so many times i say this literally every time i'm on a show talking about rookies i i love that opinion it's so so true rookie rookie picks own they cannot get hurt they can't disappear nothing can happen to them the picks will increase in value until the minute you get on the clock and that's when they're at their highest value so 100% of the time, it's a stone cold lock. Completely agree on that point. It is very important. A lot of people don't, they know it, but they maybe it's not top of mind. It, it should be top of mind. It's one of the cornerstones of my dynasty strategy. So you got to put, yeah, we, we need to see more of that, that content. I think people would love to read about that. Maybe, maybe I'll write about it. Maybe, maybe I'll write about that. Probably not a whole article, but I, sometimes I do like dynasty tips articles. Maybe I'll do a, a section on that and uh, we can we can get even a link in there to uh, one of your tweets or something as like an inspiration. How, that, would how would, that, that would be good. I mean, that, it's a nice, something I love to do is cross promote other people's content. It's, it's very important to me to do that. So something Absolutely. everyone in the fantasy community should be thinking about. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And right, Tyler, you are the busiest working man in the Dynasty community. Hopefully everybody listening is already reading your work, is already following you on Twitter, but where, where can everybody find you? They can find me on Twitter at DLF underscore Carp. I, I do figure that most, almost anyone listening to this probably knows where I am. Uh, they can find my work at Dynasty League Football. Uh, my author link is on my Twitter page, so if you just click on that, it's up at the top. That'll take you to my entire author archive. Gives you every article I've ever written if you just scroll. And then um, sometimes I... 
I have my podcast link as well in my profile, the Dynasty Duo. So you can click on that, follow our Twitter page. We don't really post much there, but the main thing that comes out there is our, our episodes. So if you want to listen to the podcast episodes, you can find it there. And then uh, I have a Patreon. I promote it from time to time. It's not really like my focus, but basically what the Patreon is, is you can just ask me questions and uh, I'll guide you through your dynasty process. If what you want is more, if you're more looking for, if you're really looking for me to just tell, tell you what to do and explain, like walk you, if you're newer, especially you're new to dynasty and you just want me to kind of walk you through how to execute all of these strategies, how to make trade offers, how to, you know, how to run your dynasty team, like the, from a, from the more basics perspective, if, if that's what you're interested in, I, I think my Patreon is, is really helpful because I'm really good at, I like teaching. I like teaching and passing on some of the things I learned the hard way to other people so they can learn them the easy way and not learn by making bad trades. So yeah, that, that's where you can find all my stuff. I don't, I don't promote it that much, but it, it's on my Twitter somewhere. So yeah, awesome. I think that's pretty much it. Fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for coming on. It has been an absolute blast. Um, and we'll be back next week, guys. We have got a, a big five-yard team um, mock draft that will be running live next week. So we will see you again next week. HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 